0: It started as writing, and right from the beginning you knew this was different, because it was happening in small villages, market towns, and then it wasn't on the TV anymore. It was in the street outside, it was coming through your windows. It was a virus, an infection. By the time they tried to evacuate the cities, it was already too late. The infection was everywhere. The day before the TV and radio stopped broadcasting, there were reports of infection in Paris and New York. You didn't hear anything more after that. First, there was the night. Then, there was the dawn. And now, it's the day of the dead. And to... Commemorate that George A. Romero made a film where there is no daylight at all, hardly. Certainly the least <laughs> amount of daylight out of this entire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is Diminishing Returns, and this is the third episode in our George Romero of the Dead series, as we're working our way through all of the George A. Romero zombie films. Um, and I'm Calvin, and with me are Saul.
1: Did you really regret your choice of voice that you were putting on there at the start? It sounded like that was <laughs> just couldn't hard yeah. work for
2: you to make It's Like when Dan Castellaneta did the original Homer voice. <laughs> it was just too rough on his throat, he had to change.
1: Yes. Uh, hi, yes, I, I'm Sol, the number one zombie expert on YouTube.
0: <laughs> that that that's not true. <laughs> I you don't know of any others, but there must be. <laughs> you should more. get
1: on YouTube.
2: Get your zombie channel going, Sol. Come on.
0: And Alan.
2: Oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hello. Hello. Thank you, Calvin, for joining us. Fresh from reacting to the Living Daylight's deleted scenes, I noticed.
1: Yes. That's, that's yes. what I just watched before we started recording. God, mm. is that what you're down to now with No Time to Die <laughs> being <laughs> cast back? <laughs> yeah. Well. So where are we up to? Last, not last week, two weeks ago, we discussed Night of the Living Dead and Diary of the Dead and a whole load of remakes. Uh, Calvin, you were going to go away and watch the 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead. So I I think Alan and I were both quite upbeat about this one, weren't we? I Hmm. think we both felt it was a pretty solid effort for a remake, Uh, all things considered. uh,
0: uh,
2: could have been a lot worse. Yeah, it could have been a lot worse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm probably slightly more enthusiastic than uh, Alan is. Then, um, I think particularly for when this film came out in 1990, where. Horror films were a bit in the sort of doldrums of like, you know, Friday the 13th, 8, and Nightmare 7, and or 6, or whichever the bad one was, and all this kind of stuff. It's not an era that I think of as being particularly good for horror. I thought this was actually quite, held up quite well, um, in some aspects better than the... Uh, original I think it's weird that it felt like it dragged more despite it being about what 15-20 minutes shorter Mm. than the original and I think like there was just like a section of about 20 minutes where I felt like all I was watching was people nailing uh, (laughs) boards into walls and windows and doors and things
1: I think my main issue with this one really is that the the zombies just aren't remotely threatening in it. You know, it it goes out of its way to make the... The character says, you know, Barbara says, like, God, you could just walk right past them. you know, And it's trying to make a point, as with many of these films, that the real threat are the other people and blah 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 blah. But I think Night of the Living Dead from the 60s, the original, is legitimately quite scary. And I think a part of that Mm. is that these zombies do have a fair bit of menace about them.
0: And I thought that this film actually handled that very nicely. Like, I like that Barbara called it out as like, they're actually really slow. Like, can we just run past Mm. them? And there's scenes in it where there's like a zombie just sort of like staggering around her and she's just, she's not running away or anything. She's just, you know, she understands that she can just step aside Mm. and whatever, it's not going to get her. But they still manage to be very scary uh, in the numbers of them, I guess. And maybe it's because the makeup's just better. Well, I, yeah, oh.
1: yeah. That's my other main thing. I mean, Tom Savini, of course, directing it. I think the makeup, the zombies, the way the zombies are realised, just visually is is fantastic.
0: It, it wasn't quite as badass Action Woman as I thought it was going to be, uh, based on your comments in the first one. I still thought that she... She didn't go like full on like Mia Jovovich or anything like that. She was still quite <laughs> frightened and everything. It felt, But it felt real in a lot of ways. And I like that Tony Todd was kind of this sage figure to her in some mm. key moments. He would sort of egg, egg her on or, or whatever.
1: Um, I didn't like the actress an awful lot. Oh, but, right.
0: uh... Well, uh, I, I didn't like any good. of the acting.
1: I I think she does a really good job of selling the transition from a kind of librarian kind Mm. of take on barbara to a kind of ripley (laughs) version of the character at the end i i I think that's Mm. something that could be done very badly and her performance Mm. helps make it believable
0: but then i didn't think that i'm not i'm not i normally quite like tony todd and i also thought he was a bit crap in this i don't know if maybe they Mm. were just directed i don't know he felt very theater in some of his motions and actions it was an unexpected scare. I thought it was quite... I mean, I, I will say that this... It, it did scare me more than most of the Romero ones that we've seen. Uh, I, I I guess Night of the Living Dead is scary and creeps me out and everything. And there's elements of Dawn that I find creepy. But, uh, yeah. Uh, here, I actually found the zombies scary, I suppose. In Dawn of the Dead, it was more the whole society collapsing, all that kind of yeah. stuff that I found more frightening. Whereas here, I was like, oh, wow, these are actually quite scary creatures.
2: So the the ending is quite significantly different. Yes. Mm. Uh, so instead of the them being whittled down, and we end up with uh, the Ben character, I guess Tony Todd uh, in this in this film, um, it is the woman, uh, Barbara, who gets out. And she does she escape? She runs off or something? I can't remember. She she, she actually leaves the yeah. house, doesn't she?
1: Yeah, and she goes off and becomes an action badass and. Shoots some zombies and survives the night, and meets up with the gun-toting uh, posse that turn up at the end of the film. To I kind did. Of save I the did day. like
2: that because it's not just like the gun-toting posse. They go full in on the "these are total arseholes <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of shtick, um, and like you can tell with her, she's like, "Okay, so this is civilization now. Like, this is what I've been rescued by. I'd rather be with the zombies," kind of thing. Um, so I quite like that that they went all in on that. Um, yeah, and then, so she, and she
1: she leads them into the house. Yeah. To so she's yeah in theory to come back and she night. knows there's a few of them still alive. Yeah, and uh, is it Tony Todd revealed first? Is that right? The first, yes. So they they open up the basement and you're expecting to, uh, if you are familiar with the original film, you're expecting Ben to have survived the night, but. The big reveal is, oh, he's a zombie. And they shoot him, and she is, you know, upset to see that he didn't make it. And then the next big twist is the Harry Cooper, the... uh, Is that his name, Harry Cooper? Yeah, yeah. The who who, as we discussed in our previous episode, is reduced to a cartoonish level of dickery. Yeah, <laughs> oof, yeah. it, it uh, was quite. Even up.
0: though you'd braced me for it, I thought it was quite <laughs> something. <laughs> Just how like hitting his wife and all these kinds of things. It's like, yeah. Oof.
1: yeah. So he, even though he died in the original, he um, makes it through and survives in this one, and he's glad to see her and. She's so pissed off that he made it through the night despite being a horrible person. She just shoots him point blank and then some guys come in and she's like, "Oh yeah, another zombie for you here. Just shot it for you yeah, what do we think now, of that? Well,
2: she kills him quite dispassionately and, and in cold blood and
1: it well yes it's, it's a it's it is a murder it's, yeah, and it's
2: the <laughs> it's the sort of end point of her character, and it shows just how quickly and how far she's sort of
1: slipped. From humanity, yeah. I guess. It's really. quite a, quite an unjustifiable it's, murder. Yeah, really.
2: it's a step too far, I think. It is just like... Mm. And they've painted him as a total arsehole, yes. But he's just an arsehole. Like, if he'd deliberately tried to get them killed somehow. You know, like, yeah, if he'd actually, like, tried to yeah. kick them out of the house to protect himself. I don't know, something a little bit more... Very specifically yeah. murderous. But even then, it was. It, I mean, I guess the yeah, whole point I is know, to it, show it,
1: how far she's slipped. Well, I don't know. I, I always kind of get the impression that you're just meant to kind of be pissed off with her and then kind of cheering at the end. Like, yeah, you got what's coming, like in a kind of pulpy cinema kind of way. I don't know, I, I I guess they were trying to
0: end it on something of a high, I guess, and... Yeah, that's it, I think I it's going to be
1: a kind of audience cheer moment, and it's also meant to be something yeah. of a surprise and a subversion of the original. I yeah, I,
2: I do like the fact that, mm.
1: you know, it,
2: they do change the ending, because if you've seen the original, you're waiting for, yeah, Tony Todd to mm. pop out and then he gets shot, so... I, I like that they kind of switched it up, means you're not, you don't know what's coming. Yeah, there, There's another thing though, yeah. you know how in the, so in the first film, you know, the Coopers, they have their daughter and she's been bitten, but they don't know the consequences of that yet. And she's in the basement in this film. They do the same thing, but they seem to have got like a six foot tall adult to play the child. <laughs> <Why>? yes, <exactly. laughs> what is that about? Cause it's not, cause uh, the child does I, come I, I out at one that, point and, and like becomes zombified and attacks people. So, But I was thinking, like, like I know this, it's a bit of a pain to have kids on set and stuff, but it doesn't do that much. Like, you could work around that easily. Plus, a kid zombie
1: is scary. Like, that works. Use it. Yeah, I was going to mm. say, it's much more scary and more threatening, I think, because it's harder to bring yourself to kill a, a child yeah. zombie. Um, mm. So, I, yeah, I agree. It's a weird decision on their part to do that. And I did wonder if it was just something to do with... <laughs> Child labor. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. So, correct me if I'm wrong, Alan. I believe you gave this film a six out of ten. Yeah, I gave it a six. Uh, hmm. I gave it a seven. Um, oh, well, you okay. know, fairly positive for what it is. Uh, Calvin, where, where do you land with this one?
0: Uh, a six. I thought
1: Alan was going to give it less than that. Uh, <laughs> just because as, as, much as I liked elements
0: of it, it did drag in parts. Uh, and, and I thought the acting was a bit overblown. And it did, it did. Well, I guess it just, it felt like George a. Romero apologizing for Barbara in the first film, mm. and that's, like, the sole reason for it to exist, at the detriment of, you know, the other characters, uh, yeah. particularly Tony Todd, I thought. So, yeah. Um, it's kind of futile in a lot of ways that it even exists. Yeah, they,
1: they, they, they've always said they only made it to try and make a bit of money off Night of the Living Dead, because they never made any off the... 1968 film because it immediately mm. went into the public domain so i you know i i can i can't uh, fault them for that Particular. Did they was it a success? I think it made money. Yeah, i don't think it yeah. made heaps and heaps of money well, but i think it was a
2: It's it's started Tom Savini's directorial career which is um go- oh no he's never done anything else forget it. <laughs>
1: Well, it's, it's weird, because I think it's quite well directed, yeah, to be fair, honest, fairly competent, for, for, for what it is, yeah. Anyway, so that's night That's your done. starter. Yeah.
2: Let's get on to our main course. Uh, we'll mm. continue our journey through
1: the Of the Dead series. Uh, yeah, th- this was the end of the trilogy for the longest while. Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. 1985 the year of the zombie the the year that also saw the film reanimator and the return of the living dead coming out a very good year for zombie movies mm. uh now this film originally it was meant to have a much bigger budget and be much closer in a lot of ways to land of the dead but basically the studio financing it told George Romero that he would have to bring it in on an R rating and he felt that would water down his vision. He didn't like being having restrictions like that imposed on him, so <laughs> he took, I think, literally half the budget on the proviso that he could do whatever he wanted with it and make it an N C seventeen film on a
2: budget though and he knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah. So the film was rewritten quite hastily, I think, to accommodate a much smaller budget. Uh, the original film was set on a tropical island, and it still had the the whole idea of um kind of military group and a bunch of scientists training zombies, but I think it was a lot more elaborate. There were sequences with... Um, It was something like zombies being trained to attack people if they wore certain colours, but if you wore a special jacket that was a different colour, they wouldn't attack you and things like that. So it's, you know, it was basically going to be much bigger budget. You
2: know, Sol, I know all about these zombie films that never end up getting made because I listened to a new podcast called How Didn't (laughs) This Get Made, uh, in which the latest episode was all about well zombie films and sort of Romero films that never got made right
1: yes 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 so yes. Uh, i'm sure that's available uh, yeah, and that is, of course, in all good stores yeah that that is available go go look for how didn't this get made uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts that that's out there that's the longest episode of the show actually it's about 40 45 minutes something like that <laughs> um and that is the latest episode at the time of recording, but that means that by the time this episode goes out and you hear it, uh, I think the entirety of Season 1 will be available to listen to. Ooh. So, if you don't like zombies, go listen to the uh, Yellow Submarine episode. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's got some nice Beatles humour in it. <laughs> you might prefer that.
2: Okay, so, Day of the Dead. A little basic kind of synopsis is... Uh, you know, post-apocalyptic zombie apocalypse, uh, a bunch of survivors living in a bunker, and it's this tension between, you know, the military personnel who are there with authority, and then the scientists mm. who are there trying to figure out how to solve a problem like a zombie, and the conflict between them,
1: that's sort of roughly mm. it. Pretty much. Yeah. Hmm. And um, there, there is a scientist training a, a zombie to kind of yes. bring out the uh, the intelligence that it still has. We've seen hints of the idea that zombies aren't completely, completely brainless motor instinct things, as they're often portrayed in fiction. Um, we've seen hints that that's not quite the case in George Romero's films. There is, of course, a zombie in... Night of the Living Dead, who picks up a brick to smash a window or a rock or whatever it is. There's a zombie who uses a trowel to stab a woman to death. (laughs) And uh, Dawn of the Dead, I think we see a couple of similar things. So Day of the Dead builds on that idea as well, kind of takes it to the... Well... (laughs) Don't jump ahead. I would say say the (laughs) furthest extreme it should go to. (laughs) But... Uh, it does go that for past this that episode. point. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, so uh, we established all these characters, and you know me, I like a, I like a film with a,
1: a small group of characters all trapped together. Well, this is it. I, I'm really interested to know what you make of this one. Because, as you say, it, it's very much your thing, a group of characters trapped in a confined space. Quite low on on like action and things like that. It is quite a talky film until the third act really so on one hand it's exactly your kind of film but then on the <laughs> other hand it is a zombie movie and therefore you might hate it so <laughs> well I, I you you of course gave dawn of the dead beloved classic piece of cinema three out of ten last week didn't you ellen
2: i did yeah but it was a, <laughs> so a, it was a scar that.
1: born of uh frustration but you gave you gave Night of the Living Dead a nine, so you know.
2: Yeah, well that that was it. I, what I, first thing I noticed was that we we do have more characters here than we do in the previous films, albeit we mm. only have few characters. You know, once Dawn of the Dead actually gets to its its principal element, you know, there's four of them. Um, yeah. Whereas in here, you've got about a dozen, and there's three or four military guys who are really ancillary. They're obviously there for body count, um, yeah. and so we never quite get to know them they're just about fleshed out enough so that we know they're there and then they get killed. You know, mm. fair enough. But I do think it loses that focus and this real character-driven stuff that we've yeah. had in those previous two films.
1: Yeah, I I think the cast in this film are pretty great, really, for a film at this level. So, you know, they're, they're on the cheesier side of things. They're You know, some of them are really chewing the scenery in places, yeah. but... In terms of having seen what, you know, this could be with the likes of Diary and Survival of the Dead, I think this is a perfect example of casting those same kinds of stock characters with actors who just have enough personality and something about them to, to make that kind of writing work and, and jump off the page. And watching it again in preparation for this, it's the first time I've watched it in a while, I, I was struck by how Good. A lot of the um, supporting lesser people were just in terms of making these, on paper, quite uninteresting soldier characters into. Yeah, it
2: it it never feels
1: as 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 deep as the previous two
2: films. Like, or or the same, quite the same style. But I think it's just because there's not as much for them to get a hold of. Mm. The main woman in it, who is played by Laurie Cardiel. She really has some nice moments when she's under extreme yeah, sort yeah. Of stress uh, and and pressure. Uh, I I, re- I really liked stuff she was
1: doing. You can tell she cared about what she was doing. There, there's the um, there's a scene where she gets slapped by her. Well, I guess he's her boyfriend, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and you know she apparently was insistent that he slap her for real as hard as he can <laughs> in the, when they were filming it and. You know, just just things like that I think come across. I, I feel like if that was done in Diary of the Dead, it would have been a very theatrical stage slap. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just yeah.
2: But then you've got uh Joseph Polato, who is essentially mm-hmm. the primary antagonist, who is just really caricature villain well, stuff and it's
1: basically exactly the same as the Harry Cooper two-dimensional asshole. we spoke about. Yeah, except Liveden this guy remake. does have except more power. He... Yeah, it just comes down on the side of working for me. There's something just <sighs> lovably camp and chewing the scenery. I, I think part... Maybe it's because he seems to be doing a kind of Jack Nicholson impression the whole way through. Maybe that's just how he talks. But, you know, the way he kind of talks... I don't mm-hmm. care what you tell me, Frankenstein. It's that kind of thing.
0: What else do you want? We've given you the reports for this week. We've given you you've everything given you've You've given us a
1: mouthful for. of Greek salad. Formulas, equations, a lot of fancy terms that don't mean a thing. I want to know if you're doing something that's going to help us out of this deep shit we're in. Or if you're all in there just jerking each other off. He actually had a small role in Dawn of the Dead as a a policeman at the dock uh, near the start of the film. Mm -hmm. Just a bit of trivia for you. Um, Um, Yeah, yeah. I think...
2: I think it works as a kind of cartoon villain kind of character, but perhaps it's just not quite in keeping with the film. I don't know. I
1: I can completely see how this character would be too much for a lot of people and wouldn't do it for him. (laughs) It's just on the side of of being enjoyably camp for me. I, I I think he brings a lot of energy to the film.
2: Perhaps part of the problem is that all the military guys, perhaps with the exception of Miguel, um, they're all just these cackling kind of macho dickheads, and it's just kind of yeah, like they're, but they're all just different, cut different levels, this, you know? they? Um, so it's just a bit boring. Yeah, really. Rhodes. Like, that could be.
1: Rhodes is all like you know. Rhodes is just a complete asshole. He's a psychopath. Why are you dude. doing that? Listen to my authority like he's a he's a dick. Whereas, you know, um is it steel? is yeah. is more into he's more into making jokes about his dick and and uh people's masculinity and giggling about it. I think that's a distinctive difference. Yeah, in, you know. but it's just perhaps it's just a bit boring. <laughs> so. Yeah. I think the first 20 minutes of this film are quite possibly, for my taste, the best part of the entire franchise and the film opens on Sarah in the bunker, kind of looking longingly at a calendar and just looking at how long she's been trapped down there and then a load of arms come crashing (laughs) through the wall. It's such a great opening. It's phenomenal. The first time I Mm. watched that like I leapt out of my skin because, you know, I, I think I'd I think I'd recorded this off the T V and yeah, I, I was, you know, gluing my eyes into this crappy little you know, eight <laughs> VHS TV combo that I had back in the day. Um hmm. and just it you just don't expect it and it's just such a good effect. You know, it's very 1930 like silent movie acting that she does, but for the sake of this dream <laughs> sequence, it's um it's fantastic, mm. I think. And then we cut to her waking up on the helicopter as they're doing a sort of it's not a reconnaissance mission so much as they're they're just looking for any survivors that might be anywhere, aren't they? And this opening sequence is among my favorite scenes in cinema. I'm sure Alan's <sighs> going to scoff at that, but I, I just think <laughs> You'll it's have to tell so me what well put together. Um, <laughs> well, they they land some for my for my money. Fantastic music is playing in the background, although I think the score for this film is quite contentious. People uh, can go either way with it, but I love the music in this film. And um, a man just shouts, "Hello!" Hello? Is anyone there? For a while. And then we, you know, it's just a ghost town. There's crap all over the streets. Uh, We see a newspaper Mm -hmm. uh, blowing around and the headline, The Dead Walk, is on there. And then slowly but surely, these zombies begin to emerge from the woodwork. And it's, it's just, like, shot after shot of just cool little signifiers of, like, oh, yeah, society's gone. There's just, you know... Wads of cash blowing around in the wind, mm-hmm. abandoned. Um, there's alligators wandering around on the street, even though, you know, as, as blatantly as their mouths are taped shut. I, I, can, <laughs> I can watch the film with um, the degree of uh, artistic license and, and you know, give mm-hmm. it that. They're obviously not meant to have their mouths taped shut. Uh, there's a zombie who's, I think, officially named Dr. Tongue who lumbers in. Um, he's the first Is that one. the one Yeah the first one we the... see The one they parody at the start of Shaun of the Dead with uh, The oh, yeah. shot of Shaun waking up and yawning
0: Is that the zombie like Without a jaw yes, and it's like yeah. The
1: title of the movie
0: Oh right yeah that effect was great I, yeah. I thought the makeup effects in this were a real step up yeah. from, Well in the previous Absolutely, films it's just yeah. been a bit of Grey or oh, green God, face yeah. paint
1: well, The zombies in Dawn of the Dead are, You know they look like Smurfs or Navi from Avatar, <laughs> or whatever—they're just bright blue. We didn't really talk about that yeah. last week, did we? The, the, the makeup in Dawn of the Dead's pretty poor because uh, everyone's it, bright blue. It looks like and...
2: when you see a color
1: photo from a black and white film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, a... well, that—that—that that, that is it. Apparently, oh. <laughs> um, so so George Romero and Tom Savini claim. Apparently, it looked great in person, but they obviously didn't do enough. Uh, camera tests and when they got all the footage back it just looked bright blue and they weren't Hmm. expecting it but then they just kind of lent into it george was like it gives it that kind of comic book vibe i'm after (laughs) whatever Hmm. so so yeah we go back to the bunker and we are introduced to all the characters kind of one by one miguel who is the boyfriend of sarah well yeah importantly he's one of the military guys but obviously him and the
2: main woman there have kind of mm. um connected somehow and so but th- yeah. that's an element like it feels like that should be more going on there it feels like it's lost somewhere because mm. we 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 only just sort of established that you know maybe there's something going on there and the other military guys don't like him because of that and then
0: he yeah, but he, then he's, he's already
1: blatantly been sleeping with her, but she certainly by the start of this film seems to have progressed to a point where she doesn't particularly care for him that much anymore, she's just kind of looking after him. Yeah, well, you he's know, a, an absolute trapped mess, in a so bunker. she's caring for him.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, but he, yeah, he's really having a breakdown um, by the like straight away, like he's not sleeping, mm.
1: uh, and you know, the yeah. stress. Of the situation, I'm sure. Uh, he's. Struggling. And I, I love that as a starting point for this film. You know, I love that, that that's where we open with this character. And then, what is it? Is next scene, she tranquilizes him to kind of force him to go to sleep yeah. because he won't chill out on his own.
2: Yeah, and he's just really distanced from life. I think he's, yeah, he's having some sort of mental
1: yeah, breakdown. Yeah.
2: I like that, and I just think it didn't have enough time to go anywhere or, or to breathe, really. And then the yeah. ending for his character just I don't know, just didn't say anything to me
1: particularly. It didn't mean anything for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah, so like I say, I love everything in the film up to this point. Then we're we're introduced to the scientist characters, and this is the kind of it's arguably a subplot, but it's kind of the driving force of the plot. There there's a character called Dr. Logan, mm-hmm. who is nicknamed Frankenstein. Who is the sort of lead scientist? There's there's two sci- uh, two scientists still alive at the start of this, aren't there? Not counting Sarah. Well, yeah, three yeah.
2: counting Sarah.
1: Yeah, and uh, they are doing experiments, but Doctor Logan is particularly going off doing, you know, spending all day in his lab. Yeah, he seems to be the senior on.
2: scientist there, just yeah. helping him out. He's, he's something of a mad genius scientist. Yeah. I mean, they nickname
1: him Frankenstein pretty on the nose. <laughs> like He's experimenting on corpses. Hmm. Yeah, But he, he seems to have, you know, they're supposed to be, they're in this dynamic where the military are ensuring the safety and survival of the scientific group kind of in the proviso that the, the scientific group are going to find an answer and a cure and a way out of the situation but Dr Logan's research is just a lot more general scientific curiosity rather than any obvious goal in mind and, and I think most scientists in you know reality will say that's how all science is done. You know, most breakthroughs come when you're not really looking for one thing or the other. You just kind of have to explore. Yeah, he's just trying
2: to understand how it's all working. But that is yeah. the first step to figuring out how to stop exactly, it. Exactly, yeah.
1: Exactly. It's, it's very understandable that he wants to figure out, you know, what makes these things tick and why the zombies are there and blah 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 blah. But at the same time, you can kind of understand that the military are like, well, that's all well and good, but you know, it doesn't solve the here and now problem of the fact that we're trapped in a bunker. Yeah, and well,
2: this, that's it. This, is,
1: dead people this
2: is the conflict that are coming up, The where the scientists are like, going like, look, we just need time to work on this, and we need to figure out what's going on, and then maybe we can figure out a solution. And the military are like, no, we need something now, or we're just going to go out and do something. And, and and as Dr. Logan says, like, well, where are you going to go? And, and that is a question that never gets answered. Like, the, the, the military yeah. guy... Is very much just like no, this science is bollocks. I'm going to go and do something, uh,
1: but then he's wh- going to blow the piss out of them.
2: what? Yeah, but what he's going to do is never. And clear, Logan, yeah, yeah,
1: because Logan says, "Are you going to blow the piss out of all of them?" Exactly, yeah, and <laughs> and but that
2: is a question that never gets answered. And I appreciate that that character mm. of Rhodes is just like a psychopathic nutter, but it does yeah. feel like the that again, it's just sort of a bit to one end of the spectrum and the other kind of like yeah. It's,
1: and, and I, well, I, I think there's supposed to be an element of power corrupts, um, similar to one flew over the cuckoo's nest that we were talking yeah. about a few weeks ago. But it's obviously I, I, all, it, done all it needed. To a far all it less... needed was a concrete thing, mm.
2: like you know, we heard there's a base this is eighty plan. miles away. Yeah. We're going to take the helicopter and go there. Yeah. Like oh, that's all it needed. It just needed a concrete plan of what's the other other option.
1: Yeah, because the only person mm. with an actual concrete plan is John, the helicopter pilot. There's two helicopter pilots, so you're just kind of a... They're like a neutral pilot. Well, the other one's not actually a pilot,
2: is he? I think he's just sort of a tech radio, a radio guy. He's a radio
1: person. But yeah.
2: they, are the, they are the kind of neutral yeah. figures. Well, actually, what it was...
1: Yeah. The other one looks like Rowan Atkinson. It's very <laughs> distracting.
2: <laughs> you know what it was? Um, it was... So, you got you know, you got your military types. They're kind of the authority figures, but like um, sort of brutish... Uh, not very uh, well thought out kind of people. You've got the cool headed science people who are the ones looking for a solution. And then those two guys seem to represent religion as a separate entity, you know, in a more metaphorical sense. And they that their opinion, I mean, th- there's a, there's a point where the helicopter pilot guy does a whole speech where he basically said, you know, the zombies are a punishment from God because science hmm. is asking too many questions. Um, and that well, we should just sort of like it's sit it out. And so much as, I mean, that's pretty much what he says. It's said. not
1: that so much as the hubris of you know he he doesn't blame science so much as he says we've detonated yeah. nuclear bombs and killed ourselves and so I, on. Th- I
2: that. think at one point he says something like, "We're being punished for asking too many questions," something
1: like that. We've been punished by the Creator. He visited a curse on us. So we might get a look at. What hell it was like? Maybe he didn't want to see us blow ourselves up and put a big hole in his sky. Maybe he just wanted to show us he was still a busman. Maybe if he, figured we was getting too big for our bitches, trying to figure his shit out. I don't know, I, 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 as a staunch atheist, you know, I, I actually really enjoyed his speech on this rewatch, and I love the bit where he says, this whole bunker is a 12-mile tombstone, or whatever <laughs> it is, and I think it makes his argument very well in a way that's very believable that a character would feel that way, you know? and it doesn't make me think you fucking dipshit when he says it because frankly as as not spiritual as i am now if the dead started coming back <laughs> to life and trying to eat us and it defied all science <laughs> as we know yeah. it maybe i would start to reevaluate my my concept of how the universe functions
2: but i think i think that's what they're there for you know we even see when we finally go into their little caravan there's a shrine there you know a religious shrine mm. i think that's a definitely deliberate thing that they are kind of the a separate entity to everyone else they represent yes. the kind of thoughtfulness of, of of religion but an in a non interventionist thing like let's just sit back mm. pray a bit see what happens
1: and well, his, his whole plan, as I say, he's the only one with a solid plan, and it's to go and fly to a beach somewhere and just sit in the sun and, and like, out. ride out the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, Which is a sensible relaxing. plan, frankly.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I think he has some of the best lines, that character. He's got some great and ones. He does
2: and he does them in a
1: weird he's... kind of sort of Jamaican accent. You got your head in the sand! <laughs> They're going to come up behind you and bite off your arse. And uh, it's okay for me to do that accent despite not being Jamaican because neither is Terry Alexander.
2: <laughs> Ding dong. <laughs> That's Jamaican oh, Terry oh Alexander. Dear. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah, Well, yeah, it's an odd accent, but, you know, whatever. Let's talk about Dr. Logan a bit more. Um so the guy who <clears throat> plays him who is not particularly well established actor Richard Liberty. Yeah, um, I really liked it. There's a him. real
1: kind of, there's a real kind of buddy dynamic between him and Bob the zombie yeah. played by Sherman Howard who's probably best known for um this well other than this he's probably best known for a, I think he had a guest spot on an episode of Seinfeld. So <laughs> that's, that's the level that his career. <laughs> Um, But yes, uh, Logan, I
2: I quite like this guy. He really reminded me of Jeffrey Coombs, actually. Uh, The voice is very similar. I completely
1: agree. Doesn't look like him. It's the delivery. But yeah, the the, the energy.
2: Um, He's got a great mad scientist kind of look, but without being too cartoonish. I think... The acting style is a little bit on the cartoony side. It's definitely more Rhodes than uh, you know
0: Sarah, but it's mm. well okay. I like the character. He does some sort of morally suspect things, mm. um, particularly the, the point where he's like he just, just revealed that he's feeding remains of the dead soldiers to uh, Bub as a as a treat. Yeah. Um. I mean, you know, from a completely objective, like, yeah, maybe he was. You know, he he wasn't thinking um completely about the feelings of those around him yeah. but i'm just curious to know like whether romero was intentionally uh positioning him as being a you know a, a villain an antagonist or like what because he's in this kind of murky gray area which i quite like but i don't um, know what romero
1: wants me to think about him i i think he's meant to be a likable character who you're largely on board with but i think you're meant to kind of take the view of Sarah, uh, which is that perhaps he's gone a bit too far or gone a bit mad. sight of the
2: the more important important point here. But, you know, Mm.
1: certainly from my point of view, he doesn't do anything morally (laughs) wrong. It's just a case of, oh, I mean, of course that's going to piss those guys off, even though, objectively speaking, it shouldn't. Um, Mm. Because, yeah, it it is just that he... A su- one of the um, soldiers dies, as is, you know, commonplace in the apocalypse. Uh, there's, you know, people dying all the time. And he, he just thinks, oh, fresh human remains. I can use that to feed the zombies in my experiments to see if they respond to being fed and given a, an incentive to behave and so on. You know, it's there's nothing... He hasn't killed anyone, yeah. but he's showing a lack of respect for their remains. But then... You know, who cares? From a scientific point of view, you, you know, yeah, and I think that's go that, like that's
2: it. I think he, he represents a sort of slightly cold scientific nature, um, unemotional. Mm. Um, but only from that scientific point of view, a, you know, he's a very emotional character.
1: Played in a very warm. Yeah, it would Way be so easy to... ...get the to... sense that he isn't just a cold, horrible man, you know? He's, he comes across like a really lovable grandpa yeah. kind of And it character. would be easy
2: to take that character, even as is in the script, and, and make him a much more hard, kind of yeah, nasty yeah, yeah. piece of work who doesn't care about anybody. Mm-hmm. Like, if you wanted to portray him as a villain, it would be very easy to do so. Yeah. You see, Sarah, they They are us. They are the extensions of us. They are the same animal simply functioning less perfectly. Mm. They can be fooled, Just mm. not They can be tricked into being good little girls and boys. The same way we were tricked into it on the mm. promise of some reward to come. Mm. They have to be rewarded. Reward is the key. I'm convinced of that now. Oh, come, I've got something to show you.
1: I think Richard Liberty's like really fantastic in this, actually, and I, I think it's a shame his career never really. Yeah.
2: I think from went from the film point of view, it just it for me anyway, it just edges a little bit too far into kind of crazy, mad scientist territory. Um, but I think that's a failing of the film in in general. Just like some things just go a bit too far,
1: and it, it, it would have been nice to pull that in a little bit. It's like you say, though, it, it does have a real Jeffrey Combs energy, mm, and definitely. you know, you kind of it's kind of weird that. Richard Liberty didn't go on to become a kind of horror icon, if nothing else, someone you get at these horror conventions yeah. and so on, signing autographs, um like Bub, yeah, like Bub, so let's yeah. deal with
2: the Bub situation because it is a big part of the film. Mm-hmm. um it's a big part of what the film is saying, uh, mm-hmm. which I guess is saying they're trainable, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um... it's asking us to question like the humanity of the zombies, like or you know what what are they really, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and I think that's fine. I I think it really, you know, it picks up from some little cues that are put forward in the earlier films, you know, these seeds that have been planted, and it develops them, and I I think, for my money, it's very believable that the zombies, as they've been portrayed, could be trained. You know, they're they're not going to naturally behave a certain way, but if you not only train them, but feed them, I can completely buy the... uh, Because at the end of this film, Bub seems to have, you know, the intellect of a toddler, (laughs) (laughs) if nothing else. Mm. He seems to have advanced Mm. to that point. But then I, I can kind of buy that and go with it if the idea with the other zombies is they are starving and hungry and they're trying to feed this base instinct, but Bub has been fed... So, you know, I can completely buy on that kind of instinctive level that a zombie might be more thoughtful after it's been vaguely domesticated, which is Bub. So I'm completely on board with everything that happens with Bub. But I know it does lose a lot of people, because by the end of the film he is taking revenge, uh, firing a gun, doing a kind of ironic (laughs) salute to piss someone (laughs) off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Um I think on on you know on on a level of sort of like if Boris Karloff as Frankenstein's monster is the high bar for this kind <laughs> of Monster performance. Um, I think that um, what is his name? Sherman Howard. Mm. Um, I think he's actually really good. I think he's quite up there. He's probably my favourite performance in this whole film. Uh, yeah, I wish it. I wish. I wish it was just him and the, the Doctor. What's his name? Logan. Yeah. I, I. I agree. I, with I,
2: that. I'm um, on board with I, that as well. I think it's a fantastic uh, performance. It, something that's really quite difficult to do well. Like it would be very easy mm. to do mm. badly. I suppose.
1: Well, yeah, we'll talk about that uh, more in a bit, I suppose. But um, <laughs> so, so they're like the
0: highlight for me in the Maya that is the rest of this thing, which is just like a fantastic 15 minutes at the start. Love it. All the stuff with Bub and uh, Frankenstein is great. And I, I guess that's why it's really uh, annoying, irritating that mm. so much of the rest of the film is so dull and just <laughs> re- these arguments that they have in the staff canteen and then... It's just so long of them running around these caves at the end, and when the zombie horde oh, does finally yeah. get let in.
1: Oh, I don't. It The final act is full-on zombie carnage, that swarm, and I'd say it's far more of that than you get in any of the other films, really, if that's what you're that's there closer. for. But there's a good hour plus <laughs> that you have to sit through to get to it. Um, but this is one of those films that has been reevaluated with history and has become far more um, appreciated with time, and you know now that people have a bit of perspective on it. Uh, but I appreciate it's it's doing a lot of things for me on a personal level that you know obviously it's not going to do for other people. Okay. So um, what are you going to give it? Um, I give it a nine out of ten. I love this film. Ooh. Um hmm. I, I will concede that the middle does drag a little bit, but I think the start and the ending are fantastic, and uh if if they made a whole film as good as the first twenty minutes, it'd be, you know, my favourite of this franchise.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there's a lot I, I got quite excited watching it in the first like fifteen, twenty minutes or so, and not that I necessarily think that Romero needs to have a budget to kind of do what, you, or maybe he does need to have more of a budget to do what I w- what I would like to see at least. Because um, I think the opening fifteen twenty minutes of this are really good fun, and then it does just. I'd be really fascinated to know what his script was like when he thought he had more money, and like well, I can't imagine it was
1: just all of this. It's available on the, in the internet if you if you ever want to read it. It's
0: well, <laughs> I mean w- when I say I'm fascinated, I'm kind of like well. Um, you know, Maybe yeah. I'll tune into your podcast so <laughs> you can uh, uh, do one on it. But uh, no, it's, it's,
1: oh, oh, oh. it's very much split the difference between Day of the Dead as we got it and Land of the Dead. That's pretty much what mm. it is on an island. Maybe that'd be good, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah it would have been nice to see. Uh, yeah, the,
0: uh, the highs are really high in this one. The lows are low. Um, I wasn't... Yeah, oh, no, I know. Actually, I was born in the <laughs> middle. Um, it's a it's a seven out of ten anyway because I do just love Bub and Doctor Logan and that opening fifteen minutes. So mm. it it's all for them. Yeah,
1: respectable.
2: Yeah, there's a lot to like here. I, I ultimately for me, it, it kind of asks more questions than it answers. Yeah, I, I, a little bit frustrated. There's there's bits where I want it to go further and elements that feel a bit cartoony, etc. I feel I gave it what I would consider a generous score, but, you know, I did enjoy it, and I thought I'd better err on the side of generous after last week. I didn't want Sol to get upset. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, well, what I think, to be honest, Alan, is I think you watched Day of the Dead 2008, the remake, and realised how good you've got with these films. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh,
2: anyway, I gave Day of the Dead 7 out of 10, mm, which I think is a generous yeah. 7, but uh, a 7 nonetheless. Yeah.
1: Did uh did neither of you get bothered by the fact that Doctor Logan is shot and doesn't apparently come back as a zombie at the end? Uh, I don't oh. know. Get shot in the head, maybe. Oh, yeah, whatever. Classic bit of fridge logic that I think it it never really bothers me when I'm watching the film, but I always remember at the end, like, oh yeah. Um, in the original script, actually, it it ended with a character very specifically. Uh, being shot and not reanimating, but the characters made mm. like it, they made a point of it. It was kind of a hopeful ending, like oh wow, maybe maybe this whole thing is over and the world can begin to recover now if zombies aren't going to exist anymore. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, there was one. Uh, well, that that was the end of the trilogy for twenty years, but oh, yes. then the zombie renaissance happened and. People started driving trucks of money to George Romero's house to ask him to get another film made. He said, Uh, send away half
2: this truck. I'm doing it as an 18. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, a similar thing happened. But um, (laughs) yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Before we get to that, this franchise, as I've said in a previous episode, I think it may be the only, certainly the first franchise where every entry in the trilogy has been remade <laughs> uh, or certainly independently remade because it's not like they are connected the remakes although the producers of the remake of day of the dead clearly wanted to confuse the consumer into thinking that their shitty film was a remake or uh, a sequel to Zack Snyder's dawn of the dead Yes, um, yes. Now Calvin I'm guessing you haven't seen this but Alan you if I'm correct bought the 2008 Day of the Dead by mistake believing it to be the <laughs> film we were just talking about. No, no, about. no, no, no.
2: No, I knew it wasn't that. Um oh, okay. because I could tell just for the cast and everything. Else. Uh but I just came across it while I was looking for Day of the Dead in, in the oh, shop. Obviously it was in the same section. Um so I thought oh I'll, I'll get that, you know, in for a penny. In for one pound fifteen, I believe it cost me. Um, but I, I do have the DVD of Day of the Dead here, and I'd like to raise that immediately. Set it on fire. <laughs> well, I mean, this is obviously a cheaply produced thing, but you know, it's got it's, could afford Ving Rhames, um
0: well, for a couple look, of days. So,
1: a company called Taurus uh, somehow got the money together to buy some. Some element of George A. Romero's Soul. intellectual property. They they obviously got the rights to Day of the Dead. I believe they also bought the rights to Creepshow, the um kind of cult um favorite Stephen King George Romero collaboration yeah. sort of anthology thing. I don't know if you've ever seen the Creepshow mm. movies. And they started, because it was, you know, the the height of the zombie renaissance and the popularity of these films taking off again, um, they started making a Day of the Dead remake, pretty much just as a commercially driven thing to cash in on Dawn of the Dead and a, a name that they'd obtained. Um, so they, they actually started with a, a sequel to Day of the Dead called Day of the Dead 2 Contagium. Right. Uh, which I have discussed on this film. You have mentioned that po- it's the worst film podcast. ever made, I believe. Yeah. Uh, prior to watching God's Not Dead, uh, <laughs> David Dead, Two Contagion was my least favorite film of all time, and that is not that's not something I throw around lightly. You know, I, I, I saw a th- I saw a, a post on Twitter with loads of replies the other day, and you know, it's what's the worst film you've ever seen? And I was looking at it, and it was just it was replies like. Soccer Punch, or The Happening, and it was just like, oh... For, like <laughs> Honestly, if if the worst film you've ever seen had Buy a budget, another day. <laughs> if 1998 had, the, the Avengers. <laughs> the thing is, I don't know, I just... Have you guys never seen like any of these terrible movies out there? No. That just like I've seen films where because you watch zombie <laughs> films, all oh, shit. Well, no, but like <laughs> I, I've seen films where you know you can't see what's happening effectively because the cinematography is so incompetent and the. Like, the worst film you've ever seen should probably be a film where you say it and someone goes, what's that? I've never heard of it. And then you have to kind of go, oh, it's this weird little thing I saw and whatever. Anyway, Day of the Dead 2 Contagion was for a long while the worst film I've ever seen. It is a, a abysmal piece of work. Just no no redeeming value whatsoever. And once they'd made Day of the Dead 2, there there was um brief talk of Day of the Dead 3. Head over and listen to Delay of the Dead episode of How Didn't This Get Made, for more info on that. <laughs> and then they, they threw together this Day of the Dead remake uh, to get some more money out of this name. Really trying to milk a uh, squeeze... what's the phrase? Squeeze blood out of a stone... Flog a dead horse, yeah. milk, a, <laughs> milk a cow, <laughs> lead it dry. They're trying to milk a dead horse—that's how <laughs> severe this thing. was um, But like you say, it had a bit of money behind it because I guess they knew uh, quite effectively we can sell this thing off the back of Dawn of the Dead, the remake. So they hire Ving Rhames yes. off the back of Dawn of the Dead remake to play Captain Rhodes.
2: Yes. So I mean, Calvin, you haven't seen this, right? So um... no. Let me tell you, the so this is, of course, a, a remake of... Well, as it says on this DVD cover, based on George A. Romero's Day of the Dead. Now, that appears to me mm. it has zombies in it. That is the beginning and end of its relationship no, 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 to no, Day no, of no, the no, Dead. No, 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 no,
1: Alan. <laughs> no. Yes. Because there is a smart zombie called Bud... <laughs> Ooh. And uh, I actually, I had, I mean, no, let's save that, shall we, Alan? Should we talk about him last? <laughs> um, but yeah, beyond that, it's a military base as well uh, during a zombie apocalypse. But, you know, it's the start of the zombie uprising in this film. It's not like we're picking up months into this thing. Yeah, it's totally, it's totally a different plot and everything, yeah. yeah. And uh, this film, Calvin, as I think you are familiar, I think we've argued about this before, was directed by Steve Miner because yes. I think you think Steve is a great director <laughs> off the back of Soulman. Halloween H20 I, 20 years later I, I and think, I think he's I, a terrible director off the back of Day of the Dead and Halloween well. H20 <laughs> Well
0: no I think that I think that I expressed that I liked Halloween H2O and then you went away and watched <laughs> Day of the Dead 2008 and then looked up the director and saw him and then like just like shouted at me about it. Well no I, I think what while. I think
1: specifically I think I complained about the fact that Day of the Dead was being remade. <laughs> I think I said something like they've got some guy, or you said like who's doing it or something. I went to some guy called Steve Miner. You were like, "Oh, Steve Miner is great. He did uh, my favorite Halloween film or whatever." And we had a sort of. And I went okay. Then I watched it, and then I was like, <laughs> "Calvin, you've got a lot to answer for." <laughs> but he is.
2: I mean, the, what we can do is he's he's a this well-established director who had been working for quite some time. You
1: know, it well, was not. Yeah, he's a name. He's a big name on the low-budget horror circuit, mm. certainly. you know He's not a nobody. He's definitely not the cheapest option they had. And, you know, beyond him, you know, Mayna Savari is our lead. Um, yeah, who, remember you know, she's her. not exactly... Yeah, exactly, but she is a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, she's not a nobody. She's, she's not bad, actually, to be fair. Yeah, she she kind of does the best she can with what she's given her. Nick Cannon uh, is in this. Now, I know his name. But I don't actually Nick know. Cannon.
2: He's he's I'm most famous for being married to Maria Carey.
1: Oh that guy. Yeah. Oh Jesus.
0: Didn't he present America's Got Talent or something? He
2: does a lot of stuff like presenting and radio present he was on the radio for a while. Like he's more of a personality than an actor,
1: I think. I didn't want to give this film any money to re-watch it to refresh <laughs> my memory, and I found it is available in full on YouTube. And if you look at the comments, it's all people. Raving about Nick Cannon, so he's obviously got a lot of fans who sought this film out <laughs> for his sake, but weren't willing to pay for it this film right my my main notes are so firstly Taurus this company i I wanna hate them so much like i they're just piss off, but then I watched the uh the new creep show t v series I got some screeners through for that, and it was actually quite enjoyable, and that's got their involvement. And so I'm in this awkward place now where I don't necessarily hate them anymore. Um, <laughs> but anyway, something that really pisses me off in this film: the second people turn into zombies, because there's several points where someone's bitten and you see them, you know, go, ah, oh, no, I'm bitten, and then you know they look down and look up and they're a zombie. The second they turn, they they decay by about you know yeah. six months worth of decay. Yeah, just skin just has to happens to, to them. But it's, it's like, you know, they cut away and cut back, and they've got, like, decayed skin. So that pissed me off, because it's just nonsensical <laughs> bollocks. Like, it's like, oh yeah, we know what zombies look like in movies, so they turn into that, okay. But without thinking about, oh yeah, the zombies look like that in the movies because of, you know, reasons. Um, And now, so I, I had this film down, I hope I, I'm not really... Giving this oh, my thoughts away too much here, but I had this down as a two out of ten based on the, <laughs> the viewing I gave uh back in two thousand and eight or whenever it will have been um rewatching it again this time, I was reminded of the Bub or Bud plot in this, yeah, uh so Bud is a friendly zombie who doesn't like wanna harm our protagonist, very similar to the original film, but unlike Bub, who was extensively. Trained by a scientist to behave a certain way and conditioned, and you know, perhaps was a bit of an outlier to begin with. Bud just is friendly for no reason, um, except that in life he was a vegetarian. <laughs> oh dear. And that is the point at which I I drop my score down to a one out of ten. <laughs> Mm. now come on now no so what happens is calvin let me defend well they, they make a <laughs> point of the zombies having retained behavior and memory right but that doesn't make any sense because if you retain the fact that you are a vegetarian, you would also presumably retain the fact that you don't kill and eat p- human beings. <laughs> well, that point. that is the
2: theory that Mina Savari's character comes up with, but we, you know, that's speculation. Yeah, well, it's,
1: it's that, yeah, it's it's the only theory proposed as to why he is a friendly zombie who wants to help them and doesn't kill them and i think at one point picks up a gun to shoot other zombies or something like that does he
2: well i think um, a more likely kind of reasoning behind it all is because he is he was her boyfriend well he and the mina suvari character you know he fancies her plus she's his superior officer or whatever she is so he's kind of deferential to her anyway and he's quite a placid kind of nice young man so when he turns, he still kind of likes her. And so when she tells him to do something, he does it. When he gets ordered to do something, he does it because he's like military trained. And I think it, it he, just about works. No desire, but yeah, it's no should,
1: apparent desire to eat anyone.
2: Yeah, it should be, perhaps be if he was more mollified by her, but then he would try and eat Nick Cannon mm. sometimes because he's a dickhead. Like that might work a yeah. bit better. Well the, well, the
1: other problem is that, you know, there, there's plenty of plenty of zombies in this film. So you're asking me to buy this one guy who's just kind of like a normal nice person. Yeah, cuz her only mother only, like, does try normal, and kill nice her, yeah. person. <laughs> cuz it means everyone else who gets bitten must just be a sociopath. It doesn't really track <laughs> on that level either. Yeah, well, you know, maybe he's just a nice kid or whatever. Mm. But yeah... Well, it, it, the, the, the actual the actual sense. thing that made me think, you know what, fuck this film, and like cemented my downgrading to a 1 out of 10 was the final shot, where the <laughs> characters are driving off down the road, the, the people who survived to the end, and then the film tries to get one last scare in, so it has a zombie... Like, pop up in front of the camera and go at the camera, and then it cuts to the credits. And it's like supposed to be a jump scare, I think, but it's Mm. done so profoundly badly. (laughs) It's just embarrassing. And the makeup in this film, shit, by the way. The CGI is absolutely appalling.
2: (laughs) Really crap CGI. A lot of uh, you know Nick Cannon at one point gets a machete and he's just cutting zombies' heads off and stuff like these. Zombies are all made of melon, judging by how easy it is to chop them up. Hmm. Uh, it really, like I mean, I know that's something that most zombie films are guilty of, but it's
1: particularly bad. So, Alan, what what would you give it out of ten?
2: Um,
1: do you know what I? <laughs> as put po- and and can I ask in all seriousness, <laughs> does this help you to appreciate why I? like Survival of the Dead and don't hate Diary of the Dead
2: <laughs> watching
1: this sort of a film. No. Um, I really? think this is definitely better than Diary of the Dead.
2: Um, really? Far superior, yeah. Uh, it's That's insane. This is very basic, low... Um, low expectation kind of stuff it's it's throwing in some action it's going to
1: throw some zombies at you you're going to see some cool you know explosions. I think it's, it's interesting isn't it because we both get really pissed off at films that don't make any sense but for you it's like the character decisions and yeah. motivations don't make any sense where for me it's like the very fabric of their reality and like the the rules that they like the science that they live with doesn't make any sense. That's what pisses me off. <laughs> I, I guess so, yeah. But yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I
2: found it perfectly watchable. It was 80 minutes long. That's exactly what I want in a film. Um in a crap film. <laughs> um yeah, it wasn't crap. It was fine. The acting actually was <gasps> it is fine, crap, Alan. It was fine. It's so crap. It's not crap. It's it's not good. Mm. Anyway, I gave it a five out of ten. Mm. More.
1: I mean, again, that's two points higher than you gave Dawn of the Dead, the original. Well, this
2: one didn't anger me. That's why.
1: What did you give yeah, but Halloween H2O? That it didn't anger you because you know it, this isn't just me rallying against this film. I'm looking it up. It's got a 4.5 out of 10 on IMDb, which you know really is a score relegated for like bottom of the barrel trash. You know, it's not. Yeah, I mean, that's... yeah, fine, whatever. That's
2: <laughs> Calvin, I gave Halloween H202 out of 10. Ooh, goodness. Quite generous, actually.
1: Hmm. <clears throat> what did you give Halloween 6? <laughs> the actual worst Halloween. I don't know, what's it called? I'll look it up. Halloween 6? The Curse Halloween,
2: of Michael Myers. Six, probably, yeah. oh, okay. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, I gave that one out
0: of 10. Ooh. <laughs> <Okay. Silence. laughs> Steve Miner didn't
1: direct that one, though. <laughs> yeah. No. Alan, did you watch did you watch the other remake? No. Oh, we see as I say, Taurus like I wasn't kidding, they they are like unbelievable. Um they remade the film again Shameless in 2017, Day of the Dead Bloodline, they called it this time, okay. but it's very much another remake rather than a spin off or what have you for my money much 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 better than the previous attempt to remake the film still terrible <sighs> uh but the main the main distinction is um again bub is the only real element that you know makes it through other than the uh zombies obviously it's much better directed there's some kind of zombie action in the streets at the start, which is competently put together. People running around, you know, avoiding zombies. It's actually not terrible all the way through. Yeah, the, basically, they reimagine Bub as a creepy stalker in this film. It's very weird. The the basically, there's this guy Max who is obsessed with Zoe in life, and like carves her name into his arm, and he's just obsessed with her and he stalks Hmm. her, and he tries to rape her, and then the zombie outbreak happens, and he becomes a zombie, and with no justification or explanation he is smart like Bub, to the point that he can talk um, in a kind of I am zombie kind of way um and he decides he like goes after her very specifically because he's a creepy stalker. So he's not just like eating people like there's a zombie outbreak going and they are typical zombies eating people, turning them into zombies, but for no reason this one zombie is like taking children hostage to <laughs> get Zoe to be his and all that sort of stuff and licks his face uh licks her face and stuff and they get a kind of alien three creepy moment out of it <laughs> and to be fair to the guy it's a very good performance but it's not a character or a performance I really need to see realized or want to see realized uh, a kind of creepy sex zombie it's very unpleasant um but he has got a great face for like creepy grins and so on um, the plot doesn't make any sense and ultimately Zoe beats him by chopping off his head. Hmm. And uh, the film's terrible. <laughs> but it is better, much better than the previous one. Um, which Alan inexplicably likes. So, <laughs> uh, by my estimation, three times better than that film. I you gave get it a 15 three out of ten. 10. <laughs> well you should check it out Alan, because you'll love it. <laughs> you know, I am sure... In about five years' time, Taurus will remake Day of the Dead again. So, yeah, we've got that to look forward to. (laughs) Anyway, um, George A. Romero, as we said, picked up the reins. Uh, There was the, the zombie renaissance of the early 2000s with 28 Days Later, Resident Evil, Dawn of the Dead remake. All these films kind of made... Oh, yeah, Shaun of the Dead. All these films kind of made people get really into zombies again. And um there was a massive appetite to get George A. Romero back for another zombie movie. And he'd he'd tried to get a few zombie like films off the ground between Day of the Dead and this. He talked about wanting to do a kind of Twilight of the Dead, I think he called it, and you know, that that's essentially what became Land of the Dead, uh, when he got the money. I think he dusted off some of his old ideas. Um, But yeah, they they basically gave him the biggest budget of his entire career (laughs) to do pretty much whatever he wanted with zombies in it. Uh, So we got Land of the Dead, which I have mixed feelings about. Um, I would say horror fans, fans of these films, were very um, enthusiastic about this being made and coming out. It was quite quite heavily hyped uh, on that circuit. So yeah, it picks up uh three years after the initial outbreak, Night of the Living Dead. So the furthest into the timeline out of any of these films, very much set the other films feel set in our world, even if it's kind of our world falling apart. This film this film feels like it's set in an alien world completely. Post-apocalyptic sci-fi, like yeah, yeah, exactly. The other three are apocalyptic, whereas this is post-apocalyptic. I suppose that's the distinction.
0: Which I did quite like. Like, After watching a lot of these relatively quickly after each other, it was quite nice to not have a film where it's people Mm -hmm. reacting to... Oh, the zombies are a thing, and we need to. As much as I praised those elements of *Night of the Living Dead* and um, *Dawn of the Dead*, it's it's nice that we're just in and uh, yeah. And I guess in Romero's floating timeline for his sort of series, if we're taking it all as sort of one chronology, this is the furthest in the future from *Night of the Living Dead*.
1: Yeah substantially so as well i mean mm. day of the dead it's ambiguous where it actually lies but i think it's generally regarded as being a matter of months after the outbreak mm. so basically the premise is it's kind of dystopian future post-apocalyptic world there are outposts in various cities that have cropped up and uh all the rich hoity-toity people have kind of Become an upper class who live one way they are you know waited on and kept in in supplies and so on by a kind of second working class who go out into the wasteland and scavenge and so on and then there's a kind of you know poverty stricken bunch of people just living in a slum and the outskirts of the city yeah it, it's about a group of characters riley is this guy who wants to just kind of Leave and go and live in Canada, get away from it all because he hates this life here. Uh, Cholo, <laughs> played by John Leguizamo, uh, is trying to work his way up to live in luxury and in Fiddler's Green, the, the upper class, uh, hoity toity society. And uh, it's a kind of Super Mario Brothers reunion because Dennis Hopper is our villain in this world, he's what? very much a King Koopa oh, yeah. yeah. figure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, right off the bat, I mean, this is money, basically, <laughs> but it's a it's a cast of, you know, recognizable names in a way that you never get in mm. any other George A.R. America. Couldn't get Bob Hoskins, not just, like, but, you know. Not just horror names, you know, like Tony Todd, like actual mainstream names. You've got John Leguizamo, who I would say is a fantastic actor, mm. certainly does what he does very well. You've got Dennis Hopper, who I love. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious to know where you're going after naming those two. <laughs> you've got a very competent, <laughs> bland, white Hollywood lead man. Yes. Simon Baker. Yeah. He had a very Hello, small man.
0: role in Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> yeah, He's the mentalist, and, isn't he?
1: Uh, That's what he does
2: now. Oh, he's okay. T- he, he's okay. Done, yeah, found himself a good spot on a TV show.
1: He's been doing that for ten years. Mm. You've got Dario Argento's daughter. <laughs> nepotism. <laughs> and there's a lot of just good faces, you know, filling out these little... Are <laughs> Yeah. Who? Like, whoever it is who's playing that kind of guy who's with all the people stuck by the electric fence, who's like, we're fucked. He's got a good sort of nerdy... Businessman face about him, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Or the the guy who's uh, Kaufman's waiter, butler kind of guy. He's got a nice kind of energy.
0: I saw Tom Savini; he pops
1: up. Yeah, I love, I love that <laughs> little little Easter egg for the fans. There, he uh, he is of course playing Blade, his character from Dawn of the Dead, but mm-hmm. now a zombie, mm. uh, using his machete. Mm. This does feel like the most
0: sort of. Well, I guess it's the least Romero and the most kind Mm. of... I don't want to say commercial because I know that, like, Tom Savini being in it isn't necessarily. But, you know, it's it's a little thing for the fans. It's playing on the history of the thing. It's self-aware in some ways. Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are obviously in here as well. So that's... oh Edgar Wright okay oh I thought he was a bit too slim to be Nick Frost (laughs) (laughs) actually in that same scene we see a bunch of um it's like the poster those two yeah we in it this is a scene sort of like in the slums there's this area where you you know you can have your photo taken with the zombie and there's that
1: I love that scene that's pure what I want from a George Romero zombie movie (laughs) just that kind of playful montage it's very quick but just seeing these people in this kind of what is it, like a scummy nightclub but Mm. just you know, shooting paintballs at zombies and stuff, just having a laugh. Yeah, at them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright, heard zombies. You can have a photo taken with a zombie in a kind of safe setting with. Not massively convinced that would be a big draw. <laughs> uh, three years into the zombie apocalypse, after presumably everyone there has like survived <laughs> mm. the zombie outbreak in real life, but, I, uh... do, I
0: do have to ask, um, because uh, there's there's a market stall selling like just spam in this spam, sequence spam
2: and spam
0: well i was going to bring this up actually in our first uh, of the dead series uh, b- episode because in diary of the dead romero like just directly quotes the monty python dead uh, dead parrot sketch um <laughs> In dialogue, there's someone says someone says like, "What's wrong with him?" And someone says, "He's dead. That's what's wrong with him." Which is just, I mean, that's just a complete lift. I can't buy that he would write that in accidentally. And now (laughs) I see spam here. I'm like, has he ever talked about his Monty Python's influence on his work?
1: No, but I can completely buy that Monty Python is to him what uh, the Three Stooges are to Sam Raimi. I I completely believe he'd be a fan. He's You know, he obviously likes comedy. He was a big fan of Shaun of the Dead. Um, mm. He he obviously does have a slight hint of the slapstick about and surreal about his sense of humour that mm. comes across in some of these films. The that you know, his cameo in this film as a puppeteer doing a kind of Punch and Judy show, he just shouts, "Take that, you smelly zombie!" <laughs> this, um, a lovely little bit of humour, I think. Well, Just I, I
0: thought, I thought Dennis Hopper was a, a very uh, sort of that's a character unlike anything else in this film, and I didn't know if that mm. was Dennis Hopper playing it as such, or if it was Romero's uh, direction. But like Dennis Hopper is this complete cartoon sort of villain uh, with the line deliveries, and you know the swilling the whiskey and all of his suits around him and everything. If you're gonna cast and, Dennis Hopper. That's what you're gonna get, right? <laughs> Well, I guess so. I uh, yeah, I yeah, I didn't know if he was drunk or if Romero was encouraging this performance or what was going on there, really. But it it was so, so I quite jarring.
2: Like it, though. No one casually murders a man like Dennis Hopper. <laughs> it's <just Yes>. really. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> I
1: love that on, when he's on the phone and the guy's like, "Oh, you you know, we got the guy." So he then immediately regrets killing this guy and just sort of goes, "Oh, I." Just did something I might not have. <laughs> like it's, it's just it's so underplayed. Exactly, to be it's a beautiful yeah, moment because yeah. it is
2: like, uh shit. I mean, I'm happy to kill people, but I don't need if I, only if I need to. You know, it's just... yeah.
1: He was good help that man. Uh, uh, yeah. mm. Um, I I really like him in this film, but I think it is purest Dennis Hopper. Mm. Like George Romero cast him to be him and. Either didn't dare direct him <laughs> further, or he wouldn't take direction, or that he was just happy with him being his pure understilled self. I, I Ooh, think it works. I uh, yeah, I think it's that character as written. I think to be honest, that's kind of what. And the same goes for John Leguizamo. You know, he's he's mm. having great fun chewing the scenery, but you you really kind of warm to his character, I think, and oh, uh, get yes. on board with him. I think that's just John Leguizamo being such an inherently charismatic man but mm. It's... Mm. it's
0: oh i was i was hoping he was just going to take the reins from simon baker throughout so yeah, much of like the, the, the first 45 here, minutes it? yeah the, the yeah. kind of
2: jeremy yeah. renner type is... in the
1: lead yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: But, the pro- but the problem with that is it's not just that uh, he's a bland kind of actor it, There there isn't much of a character there either and yeah the whole film for mm-hmm. me got a bit I got a bit not exactly lost, but just unfocused about what the hell we were actually dealing with. Like, because he's going mm. on about how he's going to go and catch John Leguizamo and stop him being a terrorist, but he obviously sympathizes with him. But then he's gonna he wants to save the city, but then he just wants to get away from it all. He wants to bring down King Cooper, but then he he's on his payroll. It
1: was just like, well, he want yeah, he wants to be a good guy and save the day, but simultaneously he wants to step away from it all and have nothing to do with anything. And that is his conflict of character. That he has yeah, it never comes across through, as conflict. It. it just comes across as kind it's, of. Vagary. Is that? Yeah. So he's well, that kind of one last heist kind of man, isn't he? He's just that sort of. Um. I. I. Well. I. I think another great character in this film. He's got a lot of personality about what he does and very well performed. Is Charlie Ooh, uh, Robert Joy. Mm. Doesn't sound like you like him. <laughs> no. I think, no. Really. I think Robert Joy gives a great performance as uh, Charlie.
0: Oh no! No, I hate it. Hated it. <laughs> I, I, it was
1: just really unconvincing, and Calvin I, doesn't I, the like dialogue.
0: Mentally
2: Ill. <laughs> it's it's, it's oh, true. It's the
0: dialogue didn't help, like where he's like calling fireworks sky flowers and stuff. Mm. It felt like he should be like 16 years old or something, not you know. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I watched
1: uh, I watched Lawnmower Man recently, <laughs> and it did have a whiff of that about it. But... I
2: think I I know what you mean, though. I think it is a solid performance; like he's doing a nice job. But it just, like like a lot of things in this film, it feels unfocused as to what it's actually trying to achieve in any sense.
1: Yeah, Mm. well, I think it's just George Romero's, you know, habit of just giving side characters a a defining person, a big defining personality trait to stop them being boring. But it's not necessarily woven into the film beyond that. Uh, but like, yeah, I do wonder um, if the name Charlie is a reference to Flowers for Algamon. Is that the name of that book? Algernon. Mm-hmm. Algernon. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: I was getting the uh, the big guy from Of Mice and Men vibes uh, <laughs> for a bit. Uh, what's it, yeah. Lenny and um, the other one? Um, yeah,
2: that's what... Lenny and Carl, isn't it? That's what. It's <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but that that was sort of what the whole Simon Baker, Robert Joy thing I yeah. thought they were maybe going for an Of Mice and Men kind of thing, but then Yeah, it never really well, the, 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 the big kind of message
2: of the film Seems to be uh, You know, social uh, inequity uh, And the mm-hmm. working class Kind of rising to bring down the one percenters Sort of thing
1: Yeah, it, it's, again, it's arguably A bit ahead of its time I mean, th- this film is very blatantly and, you know, on the record, a, a reaction to the Bush administration and the Iraq War. And I, I like that about it. It's it's very much about the era in which it was made, which is very true of certainly the original three films in this series. Yeah, it, it, it's commenting on that. I, I don't know, the message feels somewhat muddied because... You know, it starts to get into territory of like, hang on, are you saying, are you saying the Iraqi people are zombies? Is that what this is? I don't quite know. What well, we I guess, are. I guess the idea is like we could, we we grunts on the ground
2: could probably relate more to those that we're supposed to be fighting against than the people we're fighting yeah, for, exactly. and because yeah, at the same time as all this, this stuff's going on, the zombies uh, hmm. having their own little uprising in a sort of
1: well. Yeah, I get much like Bub in Day of the Dead, it's it's very much a side plot, but also very much the driving yes. focus of the entire film. So we pick up in this film with a a sequence of just zombies out, unbothered, like no humans to worry about. So they're just wandering around, playing with things that they obviously liked in life. There's a zombie trying to play uh, trying to play a trumpet or something and a music stand. Yeah. There's you know, it's it's just that kind of thing, and and I'm not necessarily opposed to the idea that these zombies have been around so long that they are bored of trying to eat people. They're just like picking up random things and memories. There's no people to distract them. You know, I I can, I can go with that if I have to. But then there is this sort of central character, Big Daddy. Um, Big Daddy. The leader of the zombies, who um, is played by Eugene Clark, who's a kind of spiritual successor to Bub, and he pretty much picks up where Bub left off at Day of the Dead in terms of having the intelligence of a toddler and being able to reason and plan and empathize. And they're still eating people. Well, this is what I mean. It's it's fucking nonsense. <laughs> isn't it? it doesn't make any fucking sense. And, yeah, and it it's. Eat, it's just it? annoying, because well, yeah, but this is, it's like if if a zombie can feel pain and empathise, then it shouldn't still be trying to eat people, because we, you know our well, empathy goes beyond our own That's like saying, why do we ever go to war and kill
2: people that we don't know? Surely we can empathise well, with them Well,
1: yeah, but then the problem is we're asked to be on this, I think we're meant to see Big Daddy as a an antihero, if nothing else. I think we're kind of meant to be on his side. Yes. Like, what? They're shooting zombies. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're shooting these fucking flesh-eating monsters. <laughs> that destroyed the world. Of course they are. Yeah. You have no like. They they don't know they have any semblance of feeling or emotion. They don't in the other films. So, mm. like, where are we meant to have picked that up along the way? The whole thing is so schizophrenic. Like, we'll, yeah.
0: the ending, in particular, is where the main characters come across zombies sort of feasting on innocent people, and it's this, like, downbeat, like, oh, God, it's all... And then they blow them up. And then, yeah. it, like, literally two minutes later, they see another group of zombies, and it's like, they're, they're on their way. Uh yeah you know, leave them be and it's like well hang on a minute <laughs> like 2 minutes yeah. ago it was a horrific sight seeing all of these zombies so are we just okay with them if they're not eating people or uh, yeah it's really confusing and strange well i
2: think that's that's it's about that it's about that kind of vagary of war you know they they're the enemy yeah. they're going they d- and sometimes they're doing things that are directly uh, killing us but also they're just get trying to get on with their own shit And, you know, I think think it's trying to kind of do that sort of thing, you know? But it is a bit confused.
1: The attack they lead on Fiddler's Green is very much, you know, retaliation for their own little lives being attacked by these scavengers. So it's arguably justified, but it just doesn't play. Because, basically, if this film opened with Big Daddy breaking out of a laboratory where... You know, we've seen scientists have been experimenting on him. Fine. If it was even just Bub from Day of the Dead reprising the role, Mm. um, you know, even if they'd gone with a new actor covered under the makeup, because there are several zombies in this that look exactly like Bub just because of the makeup they've done on them anyway. Mm. Even if they'd done that, like, I think it would work. But the fact that we're just meant to buy this zombie has just kind of got smart. Yeah, and and because like what we sat what we see on... of him,
2: he's just he's he's pumping gas. Like that's what mm. his memory is. So it's not like he was like a, a real intellectual. Uh, anyway, mm. you know, maybe maybe he was. He's was one of those intellectuals who works in a gas station.
1: There's a big moment at the end <laughs> where he kills um, Dennis Hopper's character by pumping gas, and if that was played like an ironic bit of retained memory coming out at a time that's bad for Dennis Hopper, Mm. great. But it doesn't play like that. It plays like Big Daddy going, oh, what a perfect ironic way for me to kill you now. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. So I'm I'm not a big fan of all this, although... (laughs) I find it entertaining to watch, you know? I, I don't want to sound too downbeat on it. Like, it's schizophrenic, but there are interesting ideas here, and they are presented in a way that I think is entertaining. The zombie stuff, specifically. You know, I I, I give it a very generous 7 out of 10. And, I, you know, that's very generous, really. But, mm. yeah, I can sit through it and enjoy it. It's got enough little bits and pieces for me yeah there were elements.
0: um Dennis Hopper was fun. John Leguizamo was good. but um if if either of those two weren't in a scene, i was just a bit bored and then there was some nice like the more artier uh edits of like i think there's Mm. some like quite impressive and very cool like bits of gore and all that kind of stuff but it just feels really weird and i can only imagine how like universal felt who distributed this film presumably funded a big chunk of it um that you kind of i think they were
1: i think universal were pretty happy with it i i think Mm. universal wanted a sequel but bear, you know, bear in mind this this is a huge budget for George a. Romero, but mm. for a blockbuster film, which is what this was, mm. um, when it came out, it's very low budget. Oh, of course, <laughs> you know yeah, it, but it doesn't I... need to make much money to be a profitable, highly profitable film for them. Mm.
0: But just the fact that this came after, like. You know, twenty-eight days later, in um, Dawn of the Dead, like th- those preceded this, and it fe- this feels just like a step back in terms of the the genre, yeah. and I guess it's a step back so that Romero can just kind of explore his sort of slightly confusing and somewhat contradictory visions um, about capitalism and whatnot, uh, the Iraq War, apparently, I whatever. Um, <laughs> And it's just so messy and weird. And if I can't sympathize with the zombies in this one. Like, I just about get there with Bub in Day of the Dead. And partly because I think that's a really great performance that the actor gives. Here, it's just... Well, I think
1: the important thing is we've never seen Bub, like, harm someone. And Mm. for all we know, he's never eaten a person, you know, who hasn't been fed... Chopped up, having already died. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? He's he's innocent, yeah. In that regard and he and he in in movie terms, he seems like a good being. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't wish harm upon others. Whereas, you know, even if Big Daddy is the same thing, he's he's ultimately a revenge movie. He's ultimately mm. out to harm. Yeah, that's his entire. Yeah, but like, the
2: idea is that we understand why.
1: Mm. yeah but i don't i don't know i don't like revenge movies i, I don't like lucky number 11 because women are cheer when you know one odd protagonist <laughs> kills the yeah who's bad seen bad lucky Gunnets? number 11 since it came out <laughs> yeah and obviously that's not quite what this is but it, it just yeah it doesn't quite work yeah as <clears throat> intended
0: no, I agree. Um but that being said, I guess there is a watchability to it for the fact that it did have the money behind it. It's a proper studio thing. Yeah. So it, it 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 is within the conventions of what passes as sort of mass produced entertainment. Mm. Uh and it's, I guess it's watchable. I gave it a 5 out of 10. Um
2: yeah. yeah. I'll I'll just concur fair, with that. I yeah. guess watchable but also very forgettable.
1: 5 out of 10. Mm. Yeah. I'm not going to contest that, I think that's pretty reasonable. And uh, to hear more about the sequels that could have been, go go check out How Didn't This Get Made, mm. that other show that I've been putting out. This really was a case of diminishing returns, for me at least. I, do, Alan,
0: have you kept track of your ratings? Like, mine have, like, over the course of the six films, they did decrease quite rapidly from, yeah. well, a ten with Living Dead to a two, I think I gave, uh, Survival. Yeah, I
1: think it's something along those lines, certainly, um... Bear in mind, now Alan's all over the place. Alan gave <laughs> Night of the Living Dead a nine out of ten. Then he gave Dawn of the Dead a three out of ten. Oh yes, then that was he an gave emotional. Day of the Dead a seven out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alan's just ups and downs. Yeah. Life is a roller coaster. Life is a roller
0: coaster. Just gotta ride it. <laughs> Well, that was an interesting thing. I don't really want to watch another zombie film for a while, I don't think.
1: I know, I've, I've, yeah, I I was really craving some zombie action, and I do feel like, right, it's like when you eat too much fast food, (laughs) even though you were really craving it, and you just feel ill.
0: Mm, I think it's the state of the world currently that has had more of the effect on it. Like, normally at this time of year, I'm like, yeah, horror films, but now I'm like, yeah, I don't know, I might just watch uh, Location, Location, Location instead. Hmm. Right, thanks,
1: guys. Happy Halloween. Yeah, good fun. Happy Halloween. What's next week, Alan? SpongeBob. Uh, Yes, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) Spooky.
2: Take that, you smelly zombie!